Well, good morning, Catalyst. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome everybody here who came to church. Y'all glad you came to church this morning? I, I am ready for this. This is, this is awesome. Um, we're in a series in Revelation. That's just the last book of the Bible. Um, a lot of people in our society think that it's a scary book, but it is very, very, very important that we understand it because it was written as a blessing. Uh, a church member reminded me that this was the only book of the Bible that says, if you read it, you're blessed. So that's the only book of the Bible that, that, that says that. So last week, if you all were here last week, we talked about... <clears throat> Excuse me, the first three chapters where Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches, representing seven churches, of, uh, seven stages of church history. And uh, we are obviously in the last one, we're in the Laodicean era. And he's basically saying, listen, church, get your stuff together because what is coming in the future, what is, what is about to happen, you're not ready for. So I'm sending you this message to get yourself in order. Kind of the, the analogy was, was we're in a car and the cruise control is on at 70 miles an hour and we're asleep at the wheel and the bridge is out ahead and Jesus is shouting, wake up because what is coming you're not ready for. That's kind of the the attitude of revelation. So last week was the wake up call because now we're at the bridge. Okay, and so that is, that is what we're talking about. Uh, the main thing, like I say, God's judgments on an unrepentant society begin. This is, the, this is how the Bible shows everything's gonna end. This was the, the, the prediction. So one of the questions I get as a pastor is what is the rapture? There's a statement out there, the rapture. People talk about that all the time. Uh, it's kind of a loaded question because there's a lot of misconceptions about it. Uh, first of all, the word rapture never occurs in scripture. I don't know if you know that or not. There, you can look it up. You, you can look it up. There is no word called rapture, uh, but the word rapture simply means taking up into heaven, okay? Uh, that's all it means. In the end times, uh, people mean the concept of Christians being raptured being taken out of this world. If y'all have seen the movie Left Behind or read the Left Behind books, you know, all of a sudden you're, uh, uh, you know, you're sitting next to a, a person on a plane and all there are are jeans and a shirt and shoes and, and, and you realize that you're in big trouble. That's kind of the, the when, when people talk about the end times, the rapture being there. Uh, but since the word rapture doesn't occur in scripture, uh, is it biblical? Well, the answer is yes. Uh, the rapture. Uh, the, first of all, in the Old Testament, Genesis 5, 24, it says that Enoch walked faithfully with God and he was no more because God took him away. Okay, so Enoch was raptured in the in book of Genesis. Uh, in 2 Kings 2, 11, um, Elisha and Elijah, the prophets, were walking. And as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared, uh, appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. That was a rapture event. And you say, well, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? What about Jesus? What did Jesus say about it? And say, well, even Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24, 40 through 41. Two men will be in a field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding a hand mill, one will be taken, the other left. So the, the, the concept of a rapture is very biblical, okay? There are people that say that, that because it's not, the word isn't in scripture, it's not biblical. No, it is, okay? So, what, so here's, here's a question, when will it happen? That's the question. People have been asking that for 2,000 years. When will all this happen? Well, there are two schools of thought about the book of Revelation, okay? Two schools of thought. The first one is known as, uh, uh, there, there's a premillennial and the amillennial. The first one, amillennial, uh, is the looks of the book of Revelation has said that it's basically figurative. It's, it's, it's a thing of, of uh, it's not necessarily literal. It just takes place over a long period of time. The, the amillennial version said that the end times began at the cross, 
and that things in, in Revelation have been happening all along. That's the amillennial view. And they say that Jesus is reigning in heaven right now. That's where a lot of our, our songs about God, God is in control and this kind of thing come from, amillennial, that Jesus is reigning in heaven. The other one is called the premillennial, and that believes that the, books of, the um, events of Revelation are a set event. It is literal, and it will come sometime in the future. Um, I subscribe now, this is me. There are people that are they're very intelligent. Like this. I subscribe to the premillennial version for many reasons. But the main reason is that the amillennial version, uh, uh, which is, like I said, followed by very intelligent people, know a lot more than me, um, say that Jesus is reigning right now. That, that's that's the, what the amillennial view says. And uh, if this is what it looks like, with Jesus reigning right now, um, doesn't, it's not doing a very good job, honestly. Uh, it's hard for me to, con- to reconcile what's going on out in the world with the concept of Jesus himself reigning on earth right now. In fact, his words said that he called Satan the prince of this world. He said that, that, uh, uh, that, he, he, that Satan is a ruler of this world, and I believe that until God makes it right and redeems it. So that is also, um, it doesn't make sense to me that the world is what it looks like with Jesus in charge. Uh, second thing, you also remember that this book was written, this letter was written to a, a, a church undergoing massive persecution by the Roman Empire. Would they subscribe to the fact that Jesus was reigning as they were getting killed and martyred and crucified and thrown to lions? That probably, that probably was not what they were thinking, okay? So the book of Revelation, I believe, takes place over a seven-year period of time called the Tribulation. And the rapture will happen before the Tribulation. So here's the Tribulation. If you guys look at the a timeline slide here, um, if you, uh, we'll just kind of see there. There it is. All right, there it is. All right, all right. So um, these are the events uh, uh, that are going on right here uh, before, before this timeline happens. Um, uh, I'm sorry, right after, well, okay. So <laughs> the tribulation is seven years. The church is raptured out before that, okay? We, the, the church, Christians, will not see the tribulation, will not see the judgments, okay? Because they will be raptured out. The rapture is not the return to Jesus. Remember that, okay? So Revelation 4 begins with a rapture. John, the revelator, the, the, the one who is getting this, go, go back to that if you don't mind. Um, John is raptured. He is taken up into heaven, and he sees the vision. He sees this massive worship service going on in heaven in Revelation chapter 4. All right, he sees a huge thing, the, 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 the angels surging around the throne, singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They, they, they never stop. This is a 24-7 worship service, he says. It gives us this vision of what's going on in heaven. Very different than what's going on down here. Okay? Then in chapter 5, we see, John says, I, I, there was this scroll that was, that was bound up tight and it was sealed with seven seals and he said I wept because no one was found worthy to open this up and he said then I saw a lamb looking like it was slain that lamb is obviously Jesus sacrificial lamb lamb of God exactly and so he uh, he, the, he the lamb is handed the scroll and the lamb begins to open the seals on this scroll and those are known as the seal judgments round one okay Round one. So the judgments of God on an unrepentant society begin in Revelation chapter 6 with the, with the lamb opening one seal at a time. Then notice the seal judgments, okay? So the first is this. Revelation 6, 1 through 2, the seal judgment number one. The first judgment on the earth will be the Antichrist. 
Okay, we'll find out who the Antichrist is. So Revelation 6, 1 through 2. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder. I'm sorry. Uh, lost my place, you guys. Sorry. Um, Say, say, like, thunder, come. I looked, and there before me was a, was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Well, it doesn't sound much like a judgment. Nothing happens, right? Okay. Well, no one dies, just a dude riding a horse. And that makes perfect sense. Because when evil is revealed, it's never revealed fully at once. Usually, when evil presents itself, to you, it presents itself as something beneficial, something you need, a solution to a problem that you have, okay? Remember that, because evil is still evil, even if it hasn't destroyed you yet. The first judgment is the revealing of the Antichrist, right? Who, and then who's the Antichrist? Well, no, it's not your high school principal, even though mine was running a close second. Uh, in the book of Revelation, there is a one-world government, Okay, national sovereignty has been removed. No borders, no, there's one common currency, all these things. This is, this is the, the, it takes place in the context of that. Um, the leader of this one world government is known as the Antichrist. Okay, that's who the Antichrist is. He is, uh, he is an, uh, ultimately evil. He is arrogant, uh, egotistical. He is a totalitarian dictator, and he rules the one world government. That's who the Antichrist is, okay? But he will initially come as in goodwill, uh, an imitator of Jesus. He'll portray himself as a solution to all the problems, answer to all human needs. And so how does this charismatic leader in the future install a one world government? Well, if last year showed what people will allow if they're scared. When people are scared, when they're threatened, scared people are very easily controlled. I believe that the global, global crisis that will strike and cause the kind of fear necessary for this is the rapture. I believe that. Uh, every Christian, which re if reports are accurate, um, uh, comprise up to one-third of the population of the earth. All right, Instantly gone. Imagine that. Every Christian instantly gone. America becomes a third world country, uh, maybe several countries overnight like that as one third of the population disappears. There, there'll be such a global crisis that people will search for someone to be a solution to their problems. Enter the Antichrist. That's human behavior 101. That's why the sealed judgment, he's wearing a crown because he's been given authority. He's the ruler, okay? And like, one of the judgments that God always sends on an unrepentant society is an evil ruler. You look at King Saul in, in the nation of Israel. Um, perfect example. Now, not everyone will be happy about his desire to be this, uh, this, this one world uh, ruler, and they, and they will resist. And the leader of the resistance in the book of Revelation is Israel. Now, at the beginning of the tribulation, the Antichrist will sign a peace deal with Israel, Guaranteeing peace, okay? This is, and, and that, that will mark the beginning of the tribulation. So the raptures happen, Antichrist is revealed, he signs a peace deal with Israel, and then the seven-year tribula tribulation period begins, okay? Now this, this uh, um, the sealed judgment, like I said, is the, the revealing of the Antichrist, and he begins to do his work. Now remember, at this point, he's a good guy. No one, he hasn't done anything bad. He's, he's, he's a good guy, and uh, he has easy solutions to problems. He presents a vision for peace and goodwill, etc. He signs a peace deal with Israel. If you want your country, you can keep your country. But then Jesus opens the second seal. 
And the second seal judgment falls. Seal judgment number two is the Antichrist shows his true colors. Evil always reveals itself. Verse three through four, when the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. Now, this is still the Antichrist, but now we don't see him as a rider on a white horse. Now we see him for who he truly is, okay? He begins to take peace from the earth as he, decide, as he tries to install his one world government. Okay, this is exactly what he's trying to do. And as I said, people that don't like it resist, and then he begins to use force. He starts wars, he begins conquests of the world, takes peace from the world. Turns out everything he told the earth was a lie. All right, imagine that. It's like Neville, Neville Chamberlain who signed a peace deal with Hitler. In 1938, English Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain signed the, the Munich, uh, Munich Accords, peace deal with Hitler, and came back telling his nation, we'll have peace in our time, go rest easily in your beds. It wasn't one year later, 1940, when Hitler invaded and began the Battle of Britain. Okay? So, the, 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 basically, this guy signs a peace deal, and then he co completely goes back on it, begins to threaten the world. That is sealed judgment number two. Okay. Then Jesus opens the third seal, Revelation 6, 5 through 6. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. So we went white horse, red horse, now a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Okay, now what the heck is that supposed to mean? That just doesn't make any sense. Doesn't sound like much of a judgment, does it? Well, if you understand the context of that, this represents economic chaos. See, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages. That means that people will work all day simply for the food they eat. This is economic chaos. What we're talking about here is hyperinflation. People will work all day long, but the price of food, the price of gas, the price of housing, everything will go so high that everything you earn will go straight into food. That's the judgment. Scales was a sign of an economy, selling and bartering. Begin to see the world economy, like I said, beginning to fall apart due to hyperinflation. Hyperinflation will wipe out savings and retirement of people. This is the first judgment that actually affects everyone. Every person on earth will be hit by this. Because there will be a one-world economy, there will be no, no place to escape it. That's the third judgment, third seal judgment. These judgments increase in intensity, if you notice. And the thing is, is this is just round one. The fourth judgment, seal judgment number four, is the mass extermination of people. Revelation 6, 7 through 8. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of a fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Okay, so now, so we went from a, a, a worldwide leader to him beginning to take peace from the earth to economic uh, chaos and hyperinflation. Now, people start dying. One-fourth of all people will be killed by the hand of the Antichrist, the book of Revelation says. That's 1.2 billion people by today's standards. How in the world, how in the world does that happen? 
That must not make much sense to the people of the earth at the time, 2,000 years ago, when this was written, because the Roman army was the best army in the world, and they had spears and swords. There's no way they could kill a quarter of the world's population at once. Well, so how is one quarter of the earth's population destroyed in one instant? Very easy. We have the weapons to do it now. Nuclear war, biological warfare. Um, we now have the weapons to make that possible. They didn't. This, as a matter of fact, that what he saw sounds like a nuclear war. Remember, this is a guy from, you know, this was about 70 A.D. So he was thinking of a 70 A.D. mindset. Uh, a sword, which is a weapon. Famine caused by fallout. Destruction of farms, crops rendered useless by radiation. Plague, again, radiation uh, kills uh, many people after the initial weapon strike. In Hiroshima, some 70 to 80,000 people were killed by the bomb, but 90,000 to 115,000 died within a few months of radiation poisoning. Okay? So it's entirely possible what John saw in his vision was a nuclear war, but he was describing it in first century terminology. He'd never seen a missile well, that looks like a sword. So it looks like a sword to me. So sword, killed by the sword. He, 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 uh, famine and plague, he doesn't know what radiation is. He just knows the people look like they're sick. So he's called it famine and plague. Very, very uh, possible that that is what he saw. And I wonder, after this happens, we've got economic chaos, hyperinflation. We've got a nuclear war going on. I wonder what the people that initially cheer the Antichrist's rise to power were thinking. I wonder, I wonder if they admitted that they were wrong. I wonder if they were, realized how easily they were taken in by a person who promised the world and then turned out to be the worst. And then and something interesting happens. It's, they're, they're take, there's a break that's taken. And in and, and, and Seal Judgment number five, um, is the persecution and perseverance of the saints. This is interesting. In six, uh, Revelation 6, 9 through 11, when he opened the fifth seal, I, uh, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. The fifth seal will be the, a, a major persecution, mass persecution of Christians. It's entirely possible that the nuclear war and destruction will be blamed on Christians. That's the way lots of, of world leaders do. And they, so that is the, uh, that's the excuse, justification the Antichrist will need to go after Christians and exterminate the Christian faith from the earth. Now, if you understand that these events were to happen soon, which many of us think they will, some of us in this room, and joining us online will be killed for their faith because of that. Here's the question, church. First of all, are we the kind of people that would be found guilty if, if, if accused of being Christians? There's a question that was asked when I was in college. I thought it was an intriguing question. If you were uh, brought to trial of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Are we prepared? Are we strong enough and if it doesn't happen in our generation, then our children and our grandchildren will. So parents, Christian parents, are we raising the generation of spiritual champions who will be able to withstand this persecution that was inevitably coming? Are we prepared? Most of us aren't. Most of us aren't prepared. Most of us aren't, aren't strong enough to do that. 
Most of us aren't preparing our children and grandchildren for it either. We aren't raising spiritual champions. This, I believe that God gave us this vision right here of what is to come because we need to be prepared for it. That's, that's, that's what I believe. I believe that's what the seal judgment number five. He shows this seal for a very reason. This isn't war or famine or economic disaster. Seal is showing the church what will happen to many of us. And knowing that that is coming, are you ready? Are you ready? That's the question. Is your faith strong enough? Do you have the courage it's going to take to join these people, these, the souls of the, of the persecuted under the altar of God and, and who are so honored and valued in his sight? That's judgment number five. And seal judgment number six returns to the earth uh, in, in verse 12 through 14. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black as sackcloth, sackcloth made of goat hair, and the whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. There would be major natural disasters. There's a, there's a particular teacher of Revelation that believes the stars falling from the sky is another nuclear war. Stars falling from the sky. That's what, it would, that's what missiles would look like to a first century person. Stars falling from the sky. All right? So there will be natural disasters. So you can imagine. Let's just go back. What kind of shape are we in here? We've got uh, hyperinflation, a quarter of the people killed, uh, farmland, uh, ungrowable because of radiation. We've got severe persecution of people and now natural disasters. What shape is the earth in? If this, was, if this was going on right now, what would be your reaction? What would, I, I, man, I would just say, Lord, I'm looking up to you. I need you. I'm going to reach up to you because um, obviously these judgments are things we've done, fallen short. We've refused to repent. We refuse to get our own houses in order. We persisted in our rebellion, persisted in doing whatever you say not to do. <laughs> Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm calling uncle. I'm hollering uncle. Uh, I'm surrendering. This, this, I'm, I'm repenting. This is, this is too much for me. I can't live like this. How many of y'all would be like that? Yeah. Well, interesting, because verse 15 through 17 shows the world's reaction to all this. And the kings of the earth, princes, generals, the rich, the mighty, everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For, great, uh, for the great day of the wrath has come, and who can withstand it? So basically, the, the earth, the people of the earth, Throw a pity party for themselves. They don't repent. They don't turn to God. They just, they just hide. It's, they're like an ostrich, stick their head in the sand. And I think that this right here is so just par for the course of how so many people look at God and what is going to happen. We know we know what the future has. We know what we're supposed to do. We know everything. Yet we persist in our rebellion, and then we rebel, and God calls us on it. We hide from him. We disappear from church. We disappear from, from a Christian fellowship. We hide. We don't, return, we don't return the pastor's calls, everything like this. We hide. We hide. We do, but we never repent. We just hide so we can persist in our rebellion, and no one else will know it. So telling. 
And on the face of this, the world does not repent and turn to God. And in chapter 7, we see the seventh seal. And the seventh seal basically opens up a whole new round of judgments we're going to talk about next week, round two, called the trumpet seals. And if you think the, the, if you think the scroll, the, these seals are bad, seal judgments are bad, the trumpet judgments are ten times worse. They increase in severity. As, and now, so why is God doing this? Why does God send these judgments on the earth? Is it because we're terrible, because he hates us? What is his purpose? Very easy. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, For the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. That is his ultimate goal, is to save people. He wants to basically destroy our false idols and our false constructions. He wants to wake us up to realize how we are, to realize what the future is, and he wants us to repent. He's always, always, always calling us to repentance. He says, look, church, I'm going to tell you how to live. I'm going to send my son to die for your sins, to, uh, to make things right between you and me. I'm going to give you the Bible. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the church. Heck, I'm even going to tell you how this thing ends. I'm going to give you all this because I want you to come to me. That's why. Why is he showing us how it's going to end? Because he wants us to come to him in repentance. He wants us to surrender our lives to him. He wants us to become Christians. He wants us to live as he wants us to live. That is why he does this. Okay? The time runs out. We don't have forever. We don't. And it's a foolish person that thinks they can get away with stuff. See, right now, this morning, God is calling you to him. Those that are joining us online, God is calling you to him right now. But see, the American church has kind of messed this thing up, and I have to take some responsibility to it too. We have tried to draw people to God by, by being positive and by being, uh, uh, telling people that God loves you and has a plan for you, and, and, and that's great. It, it's true, he does love you. But the way that the Bible tells us to approach God isn't by being sunshiny and rainbows. It's by being broken by our own sin, by broken, broken by our rebellion, realizing we cannot go on living like we live. We cannot do this because not only is it destroying us, it is an affront to God and we love God and to see him, uh, to, to, to hurt him with our actions destroys us. And so we approach not in joyful gladness, we approach in repentance and brokenness, saying, Lord, I need you. That's, you are who I need. I don't need all this. I need you, and I can't do it without you. And when that is the heart that goes before God, that is when he builds and restores and restores you to joy. So I'm, I, I, many of us have been moved to move to God's presence by a great worship song or a or something great that happens, but I'm gonna ask you this morning, have you ever approached him in repentance saying, I was wrong and I can't keep doing this? I can't keep living like this. 
I can't keep, I, I am like a bird hitting the window. I keep running into my own problems. They're destroying, I can't do this. Lord, I'm done. It's that heart that God says, all right, I got you. But the proud heart or the heart that says, well, God, you're just real lucky to have me. I think I might go to church this week, and you better be blessed because of it. God has nothing to do with that. So I want to ask this morning, when you came in, were you, was it with a repentant heart? Was it with a broken heart? Was it with a heart that says, Lord, I can't even believe you let me in here. I can't even believe that you would even hear praises from my mouth. Lord, you know the words that came out of my mouth this week. You know that I'm a, a man or a woman or a child of, of unclean mouth and impure heart. Lord, you know that about me, and yet you're still going to listen to me sing praises to you. I can't believe this. If that's your attitude before God, then that is what he will accept. Um, I want to invite the band to come on back up. When last century, when the settlers were moving across the Great Plains, one of the biggest dangers were prairie fires. Prairie fires, according to eyewitness testimony, moved at approximately 40 miles an hour. They would, you would see them, and you would see them coming at you, and they would just burn up the wheat and the grassland, the dry, and as the winds were, were blowing. And, then, and wagon, whole wagon trains were burned up by these prairie fires, because there's no escaping them. One guide in around 1840 figured out a way to escape prairie fire. When he saw it in the distance, this is really pretty creative. When he saw it coming in the distance, he set the grasslands on fire around the wagons and burned, made a huge fire for himself. And then he moved the wagons onto the burned spots. And the wagon train watched as the prayer fires rushed towards them and then went around the already burned up spot. And they were safe. See, that is what we must do. God's wrath has already been poured out on Jesus Christ. He went to the cross for the sins of the world. God's wrath was already poured out on him. And therefore, we need to go where the wrath has already been in order to be saved from the rest of it. See, the fire had already been here, so the wagon train moved there, so the, so the rest of the fire didn't hit. They went where the wrath was already there, and they were safe. That's why we go to Jesus. That's why I'm calling everyone in this, in this church and online to Jesus this morning to go where the wrath has already been so that we don't experience any of it for ourselves. Jesus says, I've already taken God's wrath, and if you will let me, I will be that burn patch of prairie grass where you can come and you can escape the wrath. That's what Jesus says. We don't do that arrogantly. We do that in repentance and, and not even realizing, not even believing that God could love us, that God could forgive us, that, 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 that Lord, I need you. So I'm asking this morning, if you have never, if you have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, 
If you have never gone where the wrath of God already was, then you are in danger of God's wrath for yourself. And that is what the, this is what the book of Revelation is saying. saying, listen, people, this is what's coming. Make sure that you are saved. So if you have never done that, I want to talk to you after church. I want, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be right here. I just want to talk to you. And I want to pray with you. And I want to talk you through what it means to be a Christian. I'll stay here until 5 o'clock this afternoon if I have to. But this, this, is, this is important. God has, shown, God has shown us this because he wants all to come to repentance. He wants all to be saved. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, as we, um, as, as we reach up to you, as we, uh, as we see what's coming, Lord, and we see your amazing gift for us, as we see what you have done, you've given us your word, you've given us Jesus You've given us the cross. You've given us the resurrection. You've given us the, the, the church. You've even told us how it's going to end, Lord. You absolutely love us, and you're crying out to us, wake up. And so, Lord, for those of us that have become Christians, who have surrendered, who have gone where the wrath already was and, and allowed Jesus, Lord, this, this, uh, this is just amazing time. That's why we worship you. And so, Lord, those who have not joined us, I want to pray for them right now. And I pray that they would be strong enough and, and wise enough to reach up in brokenness to you and become believers in you today. We love you, Lord, and we, we love your church. We love your word. Thank you so much for everything you've done for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.